Good morning, everyone. It's April 2nd. I'm Charlie Fink. It's This Week in XR with Ted Shilowitz. And we've got some big news to discuss this morning, Ted. We do. There's a lot of stuff crossing the bow these days. Uh, you know, big dollars, big deals, and, and big to-dos. So maybe you want to... Uh, I, I was, you know... Um, Augmetics just raised 36 million bucks uh, for a total haul of $64 million in 2021. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a pretty big validation for uh, surgical assistants using XR. But uh, yes. the big news, I thought that was it for this week <laughs> until, yesterday, until yesterday afternoon. Yesterday afternoon when the news came out that, you know, Microsoft had taken their, you know, multi-million dollar deal to develop uh, HoloLens for the U.S. Army and right. turned it into a multi-billion dollar deal north of $20 billion to put 120,000 mm -hmm. uh, Army specific or Army manufactured HoloLenses on um, infantry soldiers, giving them a, a total battlefield awareness. Um, it really is science fiction, but listen, $22 billion dwarfs any money that Magic Leap ever raised. It is yeah. the biggest deal in XR ever by an order of magnitude. And, uh, you know, aside from TechCrunch, uh, nobody else, uh, I guess, Road to VR has been knocked off their feet the way I have. Holy crow, $22 yeah. billion. I mean, XR must be, you know, Enterprise XR must be a $200 billion business. Right. Well, to, to put it in perspective, right, it's a, it's apparently a scope of 10 years. So $2 billion a year, which is nothing to sneeze at. No. Um, and, you know, there's there's a lot of things we can discuss here. But if you want to get some really deep dive perspective, I will give a call out to our friend Jason McDowell, who did a very long form interview with one of the pundits of our industry, Carl Gutag, who is very, very smart and very well intentioned and very well thought out. And you know, but but he hits it hard, right? And there's a lot he talks about about the HoloLens and, and what it is as a product and where it goes as a product. And he's somewhat complimentary, but very often um, talks about its its flaws and its its challenges and talks about AR just as trying to find where it actually fits. So I would recommend you listen to it. It's a very long form interview, so it's not for the faint of part. Uh, it's a yeah. couple of hours. Um, and he's a really interesting character to listen to. But um, what, when I see an you know, announcement like that, what, what puts it, because I've sort of been in this a long time, right? We were connected with a company called ODG that uh, was doing very early stages of head-worn AR and most of their stuff, how they were making lots of money was in the military for actually the flight helmets that the Israeli fighter pilots would use yeah. and so forth and so on. And then it migrated and it was a very large deal, not on the order of $22 billion, but very large deals because that concept of needing that information without even looking down for a moment at another display, it makes total sense to have it in your heads up, you know, field of view. Well, sure, because I mean, who needs to be, who needs to be hands-free? Well, how about a guy carrying a bunch of weapons? Correct. Right. I mean, right. It, you know, the thing is that they're trying to make it so that he doesn't have to take his hands off his weapon to use um, a targeting device. Right. So where I think it benefits us, uh, you know, broader as an industry, yeah is with $2 billion a year being plugged into solving those problems, it will likely help the HoloLens tech evolve into a place where we will all get the benefit from it. And there's a long history of the military helping tech right. 
become Silicon Valley is basically the story of the military starting consumer tech. Oh, of course, because right? technology starts, technology is a pyramid that starts with university research and filters down or, or corporate research. Uh, as Microsoft has done, and it filters down to defense first, followed by enterprise, and eventually the consumer, which I, I don't think Microsoft uh, is saying will never happen. It's probably five or 10 years in the future, but you can certainly see them evolving, as you said, the technology to the point that, that it could be wearable by a person. I'm also very interested in what the operating system is in a hands-free battlefield system. Okay, so it can't be a ring. And all that stuff, right? It can't be a ring and it can't be a bracelet, right? It can't be voice. So you have to uh, make an assumption that you know, it's you're eyes not going to reach out, out and right? pinch, right? You're not going to reach out and pinch. There must be something else going on. Um, and I'm very intrigued by that. Hopefully we will, if 120 grunts are wearing it, 120,000 grunts are wearing these things. So first of all, you know, the iconic vision of a US soldier, you know, it's kind of set by the Middle East conflict and, and what we've had to watch in Iraq and Afghanistan for the past 20 years. But that image is going to completely change in the next war. You know, they're gonna be these giant bugs with wraparound hull lenses and God knows how many batteries <laughs> strapped to their bodies. I think the biggest takeaway for us is with all of that investment and all that testing and learning and figuring, there will be a downstream effect that we will benefit all from yes. on the consumer front, the entertainment front, the use case front. And we're going to see things come out of this that are gonna be really valuable. Just, just like how micro displays took over you know, everything, right? That's like, comes from these very like refined applications that get used and then, oh, well, we can use this for everything now. So um, it's, a, it's a big deal for us in ways that may not be so obvious initially. Um, well, you know what's, we'll what's sort of interesting is, you know, last week we were talking about, you know, how Facebook is trying to create a, an operating system that is not voice or touch, but rather based on electromagnetic impulses from the brain. So yeah. that you could you could think click and click. You could think target and then target. So mm -hmm. you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there is a convergence, as as I you know talked about in my uh, second book, a convergence of of these kind of neur neural implants or or um, you know brain impulse detecting uh, devices um, that would uh, perhaps some kind of AI or interface. The army talks a lot about AI, but they're not very specific and how they're using it with the HoloLens. The other thing is that they keep mentioning, Microsoft mentioned in their blog yesterday that, um, you know, this, this relationship with AI um, that, that also could be pretty interesting because maybe the AI knows it's on the battlefield and what it has to do. Yeah, and, it's possible. And, and it's yeah. smart enough you know, and, and, and has trained enough that it knows what to do uh, before the soldier does. Yeah, well, and, and some of the first applications of this might not be, you know, in, in battle itself, it might be actually tied to what Microsoft do, is doing with their, you know, advancing the collaboration stuff, right? I've been experimenting a lot and been in these mesh sessions with folks from Microsoft and HoloLens too. And it is pretty remarkable when you are in your own environment, bringing objects in so you could see a strategy session, right? I mean, a lot of obviously military is not the war itself. It's all the planning and thinking and logistics and being able to help a community right. and lay out all these different like services. But you could definitely see, you know, three um, 
you know, officers standing around a, ma a three-dimensional map yeah. of the yeah. battle space where wearing whole lenses. So you right. do that may be the first them. applications. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other thing, of course, is that they keep mentioning the Azure cloud uh, as mm -hmm. well as AI. And so that suggests that they're in some kind of space where they can maintain a satellite uplink. Right. Right. Um, because I, I mean, I guess they could use Elon Musk's uh, yeah, the, the, his version, yeah, yeah. his space net or whatever it's called. But I think they kind of like using their own satellites. Yeah. I think stuff. they set up local area networks for a lot of their work and stuff like that. So yeah, it's interesting. Anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a big to do. Amazing science fiction stuff coming to life. And of course, you know, once you've got a 3D model of the battlefield, you can bring robots into it and have them work very specifically uh, right. with, you know, constantly being updated by the network. You know, you know they're going to launch a bunch of drones over the battlefield. There'll be infrared sensors. They'll be able to spot friendlies versus civilians versus enemy combatants. I mean, it, it, it could be, you know, because, you know, the whole lens really is an operating system for IoT, you know, in, in, in the enterprise, right? It's not sitting there by itself, but it's part of a whole system of, of sensors and, and the, you know, digital backbone of most businesses doesn't exist outside of that. So uh, that connection to the Azure cloud is an obvious one, but how it figures into a combat situation, uh, well, hopefully we'll learn more about that. And as you say, it'll filter down and help the rest of XR the way it is helping. Good segue, Augmetics. Hmm. Um, how much do you know about Augmetics, Ted? Um, I, I know broadly, I mean, I study the healthcare side of this because I'm on the board of a cancer research center and I'm involved in a lot of VR initiatives. Uh, and there's been three or four uh, companies that have started to raise some serious capital around uh, building the tool sets. But uh, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm tremendously worst about what they're doing, other than the fact that they raise capital and they're in that, that um, you know, healthcare space for, for this stuff. I think their specialty is spine surgery. So, mm -hmm. you know, they have a photo released um, that I included in the column this week that shows, uh, you know, a, a bunch of surgeons wearing their custom uh, XR uh, head-mounted displays. Uh, so, uh, you know, that, that, you know, guide instruments and, and you know, kind of give them using, right. using CT scans and other, um, you know, and, and other images to help them place uh, micro instruments, uh, you know, into the spine where, you know, millimeter accuracy is so incredibly uh, important. So it's a, uh, you know, great advance in medicine and uh, yeah. another great piece of news for XR. So, you know, I, I thought these predictions of, you know, 200, $250 billion of um, enterprise XR this year were kind of crazy. And I'm like, Tim Merrill, those guys are crazy. Mike Boland, where the hell does Boland get these numbers? But, I, you know, I, I don't Until think- Until you tap the healthcare vein. And then yeah, I mean, I think the they really- you yes. know, they're really seeing things that 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 a writer like me is not. So uh, more right. power to them. I'll have to take some of their crazy uh, prediction, apparently crazy predictions more seriously. Well, and, you know, they're not being all that insightful, right? Telemedicine in all of its forms is a gigantic industry, right? Remote medicine tool sets. And the idea that we can take an advanced visualization system and do the paint by numbers and, you know, allow experts to take their expertise out into the field. It's just the remoting. It's the same thing we just talked about on the military side. You know, the remote battlefield is a real thing at scale. The remote healthcare thing is a real thing at scale. Using tools from the past and now 
we're migrating into tools from the present and the future that allow these overlays to have, like you said, millimeter preciseness and awareness that an expert that's sitting at a, at a con can talk to a field doctor and say, okay, here's what I want you to do right now with this patient in this way. Let me see what you're seeing. He puts the headset on yeah. and he sees it. He says, touch this, this, and this in this fashion. Um, and that's that's going to be a huge business. It already is. Well, that's business. right. Sure. You take a low-level worker in the field and, and you turn them, at least for the period of that session, into a high, uh, you know, a, Correct. a highly trained technician. Yep. Uh, so, so the last story today I wanted to talk about is... Um, our friends at Niantic teasing again in a blog post, uh, yes. a pair of uh, glasses branded with the Niantic name. Now, uh, of course, we know that they invested in uh, an AR company uh, that was working on AR glasses. Do you remember which one that was? I don't. Uh, my, my perspective is on, on this is being pretty close to our friends at Qualcomm and knowing that they've been working, Niantic has been working very closely with Qualcomm on that same uh, chipset that a lot of the, the AR users that are doing the bird bath design connect to the smartphone sort of experience, you know, the sort of like lower cost heads up display as opposed to a full stack like a hologram. I mean, it seems like they're, they're going in a direction where they're going to end up competing with Snap and Snap Specs for a world scale entertainment device. Yeah, right? my instinct is going to be more sophisticated, I think, than, than what Snap is doing, just knowing what the Qualcomm chip can do in those iterations. But I guess what was sort of fascinating to me is when John went on stage at the end of the, the beginnings of the Microsoft Ignite conference and showed off Pokemon in a HoloLens and people thought that was really cool. That a week later, he's definitely playing the field, right? He's like, <laughs> now he's talking about his own device, custom device that he's working on with Qualcomm, which has been announced and there's been you know news about it over the past year or two. Um, but it's it's kind of fascinating that he's, being very open about the fact that there are going to be different devices and different ways to uh, engage with his with his software, with his entertainment, which is no different than us as a movie studio wanting to be ubiquitous. We don't just want well, our movies told one on one brand of TV, right? They need to run on every brand of TV or every brand of movie theater that's out there. So, well, they are they so. are upping their game as a studio. Um, last year, Warner Brothers used their platform to make the Harry Potter game, which I guess mm -hmm. has been kind of although I haven't been following it, um, probably because it's kind of meh. Uh, but uh, Pokemon Go continues to be uh, jump back and forth between the number one and number two uh, position Absolutely. in the app stores uh, for games. It, it, it make, continues to make billion dollars a year, probably will soon surpass uh, Grand Theft Auto V as the most lucrative intellectual property of all time. Mm -hmm. um, for, for you know this is like versus star wars movies so we're yeah, really yeah. talking about billions upon billions of dollars in we're really this the world scale and the amount of the spend uh per player is really hard to comprehend so it makes uh niantic into a very large uh, private company uh you know on, on a scale like epic games mm -hmm. um you know, the, the other thing is uh, now they're developing, so they're, they're using their platform for other people's games and now they're developing another one of their own games, uh, this time based on their own IP called Urban Legends. So uh, expect more news from Niantic this year uh, as the juggernaut continues to um, establish itself as one of the biggest players in the XR space. But uh, again, I, I think that's our news roundup for today, Ted. But again, that's good. 
a historic watershed event for the HoloLens and for all of spatial computing, uh, $22 billion over 10 years, 120,000 headsets, which is way more that HoloLenses combined that have been produced yeah, today. Yeah, delivered and built, sure, of course, yeah. So, so that, uh, you know, is going to mean, you know, probably upwards of a million HoloLenses out there, you know, within a year or two. So they've uh, mm -hmm. really started to scale uh, spatial computing with that device. So, and, and think of how many people are going to get exposed to spatial right. Well, computing. and then just the downstream effect of folks yeah. like you and me and regular folks that want to start to use it for productivity and entertainment. Or, or, or the three million people who are work for the army or the Department Absolutely. of Defense. So, yeah. you know, it's like, you know, it's going to be everywhere. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, you know, Charlie, I often give that that 10 year span of time is what I study, right? So from the year 2020 yeah. to 2030, and here's a 10 year dedicated spend uh, yeah. to push us toward the year 2030. That's going sure. to spur on lots of other companies and lots of other groups to start looking at you know, big that's, what I, tell my, that's what I tell my students in the next 10 years, you're still going to be young. Yeah. You know, they're, yeah. they're going to live in a wearable world in the same way that we lived, you know, in a wired world and, and then a wireless world. But yeah, well, we all live in a pocketable world. world, right? So this is our pocket <laughs> world and our pocket world is getting ready to be our eye world. We're already yeah. deep in our, you know, this is a giant business for Apple, the, the ear yeah. world, right? Um, right. And the eye world is coming. On our head. Yeah, the eye world is coming. All right, everybody. Well, um, now we've got a special guest, uh, Chris Madsen, who's um, just been named head of U.S. Business Development for Engage, one of the fastest growing uh, training and education platforms in the world. So welcome, Chris. Our guest today is Chris Madsen, the head of U.S. BizDev for immersive VR education, uh, the company known for uh, managing and, and starting the uh, training and education platform called Engage, which is available on Steam and also from the Oculus Store for the Quest. Welcome, Chris. Good to see you again. It's good to see you as well. Last time I saw you, Charlie, you were summoning birds into a virtual environment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after your presentation, you know, last weekend, two weekends ago, Ted, I conducted a workshop for AWE, which is uh, diversifying into education and, and hopefully other things right. to service the uh, community. So, uh, of course, you know, we, we chose what we thought were the, among the 10 leading sites, let me say, and Engage was certainly on that list. It's the one I use personally to teach in. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's terrific. It always works. It's, it's got... Yep. Fantastic product features. Uh, they keep adding to it. Now you can upload from Unity or use the building blocks inside of Engage. So, you know, they're building kind of a metaverse for teaching and training in there that I really like using. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Chris. I'm a big fan of Engage. Uh, I've been in and out of it for various events. Most recently, the the Mars uh, Perseverance landing, uh, which was, we've all had a touch point in, but I was there on the surface bopping around with the guys and then hopping into that tool and then had to check out the Oculus thing, what they were doing. I was kind of like playing the field a little bit, which was interesting, but I thought the Engage um, uh, environment and the people that were gathered there was probably the most robust and most interesting. 
And then on our Viacom CBS side, we did a, uh, a Mars uh, Pierce, uh, Perseverance, uh, Mars Experience uh, AR app where you can actually bring the rover into your room and, and fly the Ingenuity around and do some cool stuff. So Chris and I are both, as you can see by his background, both crazy uh, space nuts and space fans. Uh, I don't even know if I told you, told you this, Charlie, but my uncle worked at NASA. Uh, and um, I did a lot of production work. you do growing up. <laughs> yeah, I did a lot of production work, uh, you know, in the early part of my career uh, at NASA. And I, like lived under the crawler for a week and spent time at minimum distance, saw almost all the launches for minimum distance. It was quite, quite an experience that shaped me. And I know Chris has some thoughts on that too, so. Yeah. Chris and I were talking before we started taping a little bit about uh, his journey through the AR VR industry that led him to working with Engage. Do you want to tell us a little about that or, or let, let me stop that and say, do you want to talk more about Engage or can we talk about you right now? Uh, yeah, <laughs> let, we, we can certainly, because my paths intersect with Engage actually, you know, um, it, for my journey, you know, I have 20 years of behavioral science background. That was my career. And back in 2013, I had my first uh, social VR experience on the developer kit one from Oculus. Uh, Mike Armstrong, our lead developer um, at Immersive VR Education, built the first social VR app for that developer kit back in 2013. And it kind of became a hub uh, where developers around the world would meet. And really, we were all discovering social VR for our first times, like, wow, we can actually be together in a shared place. Uh, you know, back then you couldn't bump hands unless you had a Razor Hydra for your hand controls. But that was really our first taste. And uh, David Whelan, Sandra Whelan, our CEO and COO of Immersive VR Education were part of that crew as well. And speaking of space, you know, Apollo 11 was David Whelan's first Kickstarter and is one of the most popular educational VR experiences out there right, right now. That helped bring in some funding to get the ball rolling. And uh, Mike's work eventually rolled over into Engage. So we've been building the Engage platform now for many, many, many years. And uh, our roots are deep uh, amongst the core yeah, team. Would, we're all early adopters. I would say Apollo 11 might be might be now fo uh, floating into the category of a VR classic at this point. I, I think really so. Is. And yeah. we've updated it to a HD version. And I see that continuing to happen as technology evolves. It's just going to evolve along with, right. with the tech. That's very cool. Yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing over time how many environments Engage has been able to add, uh, as well as, you know, one of the great things about Engage is that it incorporates what is great about a number of different uh, collaboration websites, the way you can present slides. Uh, you know, it's much easier than on most other platforms. Uh, you know, the way it integrates 360 video. I mean, you haven't really experienced 360 video until you're there with 25 people um, in the middle of it while, while it rolls. And, I, you know, I thought that really kind of changed the context and gave me new appreciation for 360, of, of which I have been quite dismissive uh, over the years, but it is a very, very effective to teaching tool, especially when applied in that context. It's yeah. funny you bring that up, Charlie, because I was sort of on the dismissive side of 360 as well, until I discovered that you could share those with 
other people and have these experiences together and add 3D elements to those 360 experiences. And now, honestly, it's one of my favorite things to do on the platform because as you know, YouTube probably has a close to 2 million 360 degree experiences, which makes it very low hanging fruit for educators. Or if you just wanna to get together with friends and family, the other night, I spent about two hours with friends just exploring the Amazon rainforest in fully immersive 360. It's incredible experience. Wow. I think we've reached a, uh, I think we've reached the beginnings of a tipping point in terms of resolution and comfort on the headsets too, um, where they're, they're finally good enough. I would not say that they are great enough, but they are definitely good enough to enjoy yeah. video content without yeah. feeling like you're looking through like three layers of a screen door. Yes, exactly. Um, and you kind of have this renaissance again of, this is beautiful. Like when I do my, my supernatural workouts, you know, when I watch yes. those three-dimensional back, the, those 3D, 360 captured backgrounds, I just smoke for a moment, just take a look around and they go, this is great. And then I think to myself, boy, just imagine two more turns of the technology and we get to a really high fidelity, lightweight device. Uh, this will become a main part of the media experience. So you're on the right, absolutely on the right track. Yeah. And I'll tell you one of the most important things I think uh, that we're seeing right now is the fact that we have these creative tools available across many platforms that allow folks like myself, which, you know, I come from that mental health uh, behavioral science background. I'm not a creator. I was not trained in this. But now all of us, now that we've got these magic wands that we can do these amazing things in virtual reality, creating the tools that make it simple enough for folks like us to take what's in our head and bring that out into an immersive interactive experience is incredibly powerful. And we're seeing these tools just get easier and easier to use across the board. And this is just gonna open up a creative boom for everybody because now teachers can be rock stars in whatever environments they imagine. Yep, totally agree. Oh, Charlie, you're, you're muted. Sorry, uh, you're muted is going to be the saying of 2020. I have to say. Uh, but I've got dogs barking in the background, another, uh, another 2020 classic. Um, but I, I wanted to talk a little bit about how uh, the pandemic has affected uh, teaching online and training online and, and how uh, Engage has changed as, as a result. You must have more than twice as much traffic as you had this time last year. 600% uh, increase, Charlie, uh, just in the last like five, four or five months. It's, it, it's booming. It's crazy. We're hiring like crazy on our team right now. But yeah, we're seeing this big shift um, uh, amongst businesses and amongst educators. I can give you an example. Um, Stanford University, you know, they do these sum this summer coursework where they take people into the anatomy lab and they use human cadavers and all of these things. And they were like, what are we going to do? Um, and so they actually made a digital twin of the, of the lab and did use photogrammetry to bring the cadavers and some 3D CGI into the experience. And they did a hybrid model with their students and got rave reviews, by the way. You know, they got all this documented with surveys and everything, rave reviews. They sent Quest headsets out to everybody. And uh, they did the courses between using Zoom and then doing the real hands-on stuff inside of virtual reality, huge success. Right. And in fact, yeah. they're expanding that program right now. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, we're seeing this across the board, right? I mean, this is happening um, with a lot of different institutions starting to understand the power of this medium for, right. for training and use case and learning and 
stuff we recognize, Chris, very early on. Like the, there's a value to simulation behavior, right? If yeah, you can't is. be there in person, what's the next best thing? Let's simulate it. And now because we can simulate it at a consumer level with a, a headset that's you know effectively $300 to deliver, um, I'm doing things with groups from these large consulting firms like PwC, where they're bringing in you know executives and board members that have never been in VR for and and they use a tool and they you know go into the, they're using something called Arthur, which is another yeah. sort of platform that has similar touch points. So it's interesting when you start to see success points. And Charlie, you remember when we had our friend Eric from Media Monks on? He coined the term um, or at least brought it up to us: the Seven Sisters, right? Where when something gets like a real understanding of there's going to be some juice here to squeeze. There's going to be a use case in a, in a business. You end up getting sort of six or seven different versions of it almost right away. So the fact that you've been in it for such a long time and you've been evolving your tool uh, makes it all the more important because now there are six or seven things that are kind of lookalikes and feel alikes. Um, so you're you're on the right track. And you know, early early stage of figuring it out means you are very much on the right track. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I think there's going to be a few things that are going to kind of set people apart. One is going to be the aesthetics of, of the platform. Crucial is going to be the ease of use of the various tools to get done what you need to get done. The friction yep. is a huge issue oh, in collaboration. And we're still dealing with, on every, everywhere, we're still yeah. and dealing you have with to, that, right? You have to be cross-platform. You have to meet people where they are. And, and ultimately, we have to, the app, the tyranny of the app is, is holding everybody back. Mm -hmm. So as, as 5G evolves, uh, hopefully we'll move toward a WebXR paradigm where, you know, like Zoom, it's one-click invitations. Yeah, single yeah. sign-ons, all that fun stuff, yeah. So Chris, tell people how the, that are listening how they can find it, the kind of experiences they can check out, where they sign up, give them all the, the background so that they know how to... Yeah, so, uh, you can, you. so you can find us on, on uh, all the headset stores, you know, the Oculus, uh, uh, Viveport, Steam, uh, Pico store, all that. We're also, you know, available on iOS devices. So your smartphones, uh, uh, we're also, uh, you can download everything at engagevr.io. That's our website, engagevr.io. And uh, all kinds of great examples that you can see on the platform. So if you pop in, make sure you check out the content section where you can go in and watch Oxford professors giving what would typically be a normal lecture, but we've taken those spatial recordings of them, brought them into the platform, and then added some very interactive and, and awesome elements around those instructions to really bring them to life. It's really an evolution of the PowerPoint, right? Um, yeah. Taking it to the next level. Uh, make sure and try out some of these simulations. Like we have one where you actually save a baby's life. It's a hands-on experience where you have to activate the resuscitator, pick the right size, yeah, the, and you're the, literally pumping it. The, the, inter, the interactive mod, teaching modules are so powerful. Yeah. And, and what's well, great yeah. is when you talk about the interactive teaching mods, these are things that educators right now can create on their own using our editor. The editor is extremely powerful, intuitive. You don't know need to know any coding. You can create some very remarkable experiences using that. Right. Yeah, and, and I see the degree ER is actually doing that, that I experienced a maze yeah. they did, which was built around learning about Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah. 
And to give people a sense of what I believe, and I think the three of us believe how big this is going to be, if you go back in time a little bit to when people were just laughing at the idea of online education, that it will never, ever have a real place in real education, that you still have to go to a real school and go to a university, and then track over the last 25, 30 years how it has become an overtaken, you know, the, the over the overarching, like every school, including all the Ivy League school have an online education portal and groups like Stanford use it extensively to allow more people to access uh, their, their educational tools and find use cases. And, you know, University of Phoenix is probably the perfect example of how big something that people would laugh at a generation ago can be. We're still maybe a little bit in that laughing stage for the bulk of people. Like uh, people aren't going to wear those things on their face. Well, those things are going to change, right? And evolve. Yeah. And it is going to be a absolutely mainstream part of society and how people learn. So I think you are on the right yeah. track. We are, and and it's going to be the faith. creators themselves that are going to make the difference, right? The technology is what it is. It's amazing. But without the creators, it's nothing. And this is what we hope to, you know, inspire yeah. is for teachers to get in there and share their visions easily and create some amazing things. Chris, it was great to see you and great to chat with you this afternoon. That's all we've got for our show today. Um, but it's great to see you. Congrats uh, on your new position and congrats to engage and continued success Wow, 600% growth. I think that's uh, remarkable and something that uh, tells us a lot about what the pandemic has done for social sites that help us uh, because we want to be together when we have to be apart. Um, see you next week, everyone. Always a pleasure. Listening. See you in the metaverse, guys. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Thanks, everybody.